Jesus, this morning we just want to thank you. Thank you for the cross. Because without it, we don't have a relationship with the creator, the almighty God. There is power in your name, Jesus. And we thank you that we get to live into that power. Because you defeated death and sin three days after the cross. cross, And you you walked in victory and we can walk in victory as well. Jesus, it's because of you. And so this morning, we thank you. We worship you. We glorify your name. And Father, for some of us who are still, maybe we're just getting tripped up with something. We're getting tripped up with something that the world is offering us. And it's not of you. We speak the name of Jesus over it. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room or on those online right now watching, that their heart is just stirred in this moment, knowing that there are still some chains that are holding them back from more of you. I pray that they would cry out to you, Jesus, where all power and authority lie. That we would shout the name of Jesus over our families. Would you strengthen families in this room? Would you strengthen families watching online? Will you strengthen marriages, strengthen relationships? We shout and cry out the name of Jesus over our families and over our houses. We shout and cry the name of Jesus over our workplaces, over our schools, over our communities that we live in, God. We shout the name of Jesus and cry out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, there's only one name but the name of Jesus. There is power in your name. And may we shout your name. May we never be afraid or ashamed of the gospel message that radically transformed us, that radically transformed this world. May we not be ashamed of Jesus. Help us to shine that light Be the aroma of Christ to others. Father, may this church body live up to the name of this church that you instilled on our hearts five years ago. May we live a radiant life. It's radiant because we've encountered your presence. And we can't help but to shine that to others. God, as we are about to hear from you, open our hearts, open our ears, give us a posture of our soul to receive from you. Father, may it not be my words, but your power, your anointing, working in and through me. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, hey, real quick before you sit down, turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to see you this morning. (laughs) 
All right, confession time. How many of you just turned to someone you already knew? Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I want to just take a moment, welcome those watching online. So glad you are with us this morning as we are entering part six of our series, Prayer, Knowing and Experiencing God. Can I just say that if you were with us for the seven nights of prayer, God moved. This past week we met at 730 uh, for the last seven nights, we saw people, we saw a salvation. Someone got saved during those seven nights, which is awesome. We saw physical healing from people that was anointed with oil. We don't know how God works in mysterious and miraculous ways. We saw physical healing. We've had answered prayer already this week from that night, and it was incredible. And I, yeah. And my encouragement to you is the next time we do this, that you would participate in some way. Uh, that was one of the biggest feedbacks we got through the last seven nights was, when's the next one? Which is awesome. I told you on week one, if you were with us, it was come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. And those that came got to taste and see. You got to taste and see, and it was awesome, absolutely awesome time together seeking the Lord in that way. Well, we are on part six of our series, just prayer, knowing, and experiencing God. I want you to know when you and I pray, powerful things happen. The church must be a church that prays. Believers, disciples of Jesus must have prayer at the heart of who they are. We got to get on our knees and go to the throne room of God more. We live in a world that's very dark, that's twisting truth right now. And we need to be on our knees accessing the throne room of God, praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to be a church that prays. We need to move from prayer being a religious duty to a wonderful delight. That you and I don't have to pray, we get to pray. And we need to be a people that are rooted in prayer. You want to see God move. You want to see God do the miraculous. You want to see the hand of God on your life and on your family's life? Commit yourself to prayer. Be rooted and established in prayer. This entire series we've defined prayer as this. God has chosen to make prayer the path to his presence, his power, and his purpose. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at five principles of a powerful prayer. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus. I want to know how did my Savior Jesus Christ pray? What did he do that you and I can learn from? Because prayer was foundational to the ministry and life of Jesus. So we're going to look at five principles of powerful prayer from the life of Jesus. And throughout this message together, this teaching, may we ask the question that if you were with us last week, I wanted you to ask yourself. And it's this question. What's one step I can take for my prayer life to go to the next level? What's one step that you can take for your prayer life to go to the next level? 
Here's principle number one for you note takers. Turn to your neighbor and say, I hope you're taking notes. Turn to your other neighbor and say, good morning. Here we go. Principle number one. Powerful prayer is the source of a power-filled life. If you want a power-filled life, then be a person of prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. You see this in the life of Jesus, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture right here to give us glimpses as to how often our Savior Jesus Christ prayed. In Luke chapter 11, it begins this way. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to what, friends? Now think with me. And I taught a little bit about this last week, but up to this point, when a disciple asked, and he's with his disciples at this point, teach us to pray, do you know what Jesus has already done? He has allowed the blind to see. He has risen dead people back to life. Jesus has taught and massive amount of crowds have come to hear his power and his anointing in his teaching. Not only that, he has fed probably 10,000 plus people with a couple of fish and a couple loaves of bread. Miraculous things have happened. And the one thing the disciples want to know is how do you pray? I'll be honest. Lord, make me a teacher like you. How did you have authority and power over demon-possessed people? It's pretty cool. By the way, Jesus, I want to know how you multiplied fish and bread like that. And when I know how, can you give me that power to do that? It'd be really nice to have the power and know how to raise people from the dead. I would love to bring back lost family members that have died. Can you teach us those things? But instead, teach us to pray. Because the disciples who were there, they realized everything that Jesus did in his ministry was rooted in prayer. Here's another example in Luke chapter 3. This is when Jesus is beginning his ministry. His three years of ministry, it begins this way. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was what, friends? Look what happens. The heavens were opened. You want the heavens to open in your life? Commit to prayer. Jesus did. Even at his baptism, he's praying. It doesn't stop there. Luke chapter 6. In these days, he went out to a mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and watch this, he chose from them 12. Jesus knew a major decision was looming. He had more than 12 disciples. He had crowds of disciples, but he chose 12 of them to be in an intimate, more deeper relationship to understand the kingdom of God better. It was a major decision. And what did Jesus know? I must get away and be bathed in prayer before this decision. 
Some of you right now have a major decision to make. You have to know, do I quit this job? Do I take this job? Do I sell my house? Do I keep my house? Do I marry this person? Do I not marry this person? Commit yourself to prayer just as Jesus did when he made a major decision. It's not long. Luke chapter 9, a little uh, couple chapters later. Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Just in this moment, Jesus is about to get his identity revealed. In this moment. But what is he doing prior to his identity being revealed? He's praying. A major part of the life of Jesus. Now this is right before what we know as the transfiguration. It's a little confusing. This is when... God reveals his full identity as the son of God to Jesus and those around him. Remember the entire time so far leading up to this point, he's always, people are realizing you're the son of God. And what does Jesus say? Shh, don't tell anyone. My time hasn't come yet. Don't do it. This is the moment at the, Mount of Tran, uh, uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration that the glory of God appeared in Jesus and Jesus now will turn his eyes and march his way to Jer Jerusalem. A little couple verses later it reads this. And he was what, friends? And watch this. The appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white his the glory on the inside has now become visible on the outside you want Jesus to shine his light and be the aroma of Jesus commit yourself to praying allow the glory on the inside to come outward on the outside and be transformed why, why people sit there and go man you got so much joy why do you always smile life's not that good and you're like, it will always be good when Jesus is my Savior. Yeah, I go through mountaintops, I go through valleys, but God's still on his throne. I'm saved and I'm clothed in righteousness. It's a good day to be alive. Commit yourself to prayer. I mean, look at Mark. Mark says. Mark says this. And rising very early in the morning. Some of you, you aren't morning people. You're like, oh, man. I love very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus knew that in order to have a fruitful ministry, in order to have a power-filled life, you have to commit yourself to prayer. Prayer is key to a power-filled life. And Jesus made time for it. Even early in the morning when the crowds weren't there or the 12 disciples hadn't got his ear yet. He says, I got to get away and meet with my heavenly father. And here's what's really interesting. Jesus stepped out of the throne room of heaven, took on flesh to walk earth. He knew what the kingdom of God was like. He was there. The one who knew the most prayed the most. He was, this is, this is God in flesh. 
This is the th second person in the Trinity, the triune God. He knew what the kingdom of God was like and still prayed all the time. He knew something. See, if you knew what Jesus knew, you'd pray like Jesus prayed. He knew the kingdom of God, and he got here on earth and walked for about 30, 33 years of his life here on earth. And he says, I will commit myself to prayer because I saw the kingdom of God. I'm part of the kingdom of God, and this earth needs the kingdom of God. And I will gladly give myself to prayer. But here's our issue, friends. We may have this attitude sometimes, that often prayer is too little to give it big time. But Jesus said the opposite. Jesus said, friends, prayer is too big to give it little time. We just got to change our perspective. We can't, you need the power of God in your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need the power. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you definitely need power. You're a smart husband right there. I'm not going to turn and say, you my wife, you definitely need power, right? That's wisdom. Powerful prayer is the source of a power-filled life, and our Savior Jesus knew it. Our Savior Jesus knew it. Here's the second uh, principle. Second principle of a power-filled prayer life, a powerful prayer is this. Powerful prayer is based on a heart-engaged relationship with God as Father. It's a heart-engaged relationship with God as our Father. It is not based on religious duties or obligations of, I, I have to. Guess what, friends? We get to pray and have access to the throne room of God. That's amazing. It's a heart-engaged relationship. Look, let's jump back to Luke chapter 11. When the disciples are asking Jesus, teach us to pray, look what he says. And he said to, that, to them, the disciples, when you pray, say what, friends? <laughs> Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. But notice how he addresses God. Matthew records the very similar. In Matthew it says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What I love about these two is when Jesus is speaking here, it's, it's, he's speaking in Aramaic. And this word right here in the English we translate as Father, but in the Aramaic it's a little more intimate than that. If we correct uh, translation here is honestly, it's, it's daddy. Do you see the intimate change? You know what it's like to see, maybe you were that child before you saw a child run up, daddy, daddy. That is what Jesus is telling us when he's asked, the disciples is asked, teach us to pray. He says, it's your daddy in heaven. It's a heart-engaged relationship. It is father-child. It is father-son. It is father-daughter. It's a daddy in heaven who deeply, deeply loves you. It's, it's several spots. Here's another spot in the Gospel of John. It says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the who? The father of daddy. In my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, let me give you a quick theological framework for prayer. No matter what seminary you would ever attend or Bible Institute, take a class on prayer. There's a basic theological framework for prayer. And it's this. You pray to the Father, through the Son, Jesus, by the power of Holy Spirit. You pray to the Father, through the Son, Jesus, by the power of Holy Spirit. Look at this. He says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. Why would, do we, do we just tag on that wonderful line at the end of prayer in Jesus' name? And we're not like, why, why do we say that? Great question. Because outside of Jesus, we have no access to God. So when you and I pray to the Father, we are asking God, here's our prayer. And we are saying, in Jesus' name, because that is the only access and authority we have to you. Because we are clothed in righteousness. We have been adopted as your son through Jesus. And that's why we say, in Jesus' name. It is not your own power and authority. It is only by the power and authority of Jesus that you have put your faith and trust in that you have access to God. And that's why we end our prayer in Jesus' name. But you pray through the power of the Holy Spirit who is living inside of you. The presence of God. Paul writes to the churches, there's house churches in the city of Rome in the ancient world. You and I have the letter Romans. And this is what Paul's telling them in Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. If you have, just know this, the spirit of fear is from the enemy. It's not from your loving heavenly father. There is freedom. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father, which you and I cry, Daddy. That the Holy Spirit, this is what I love about Holy Spirit, he confirms in you, that you have been adopted, you are a child of God, you are a daughter of God, you are a son of God. It's one of the roles Holy Spirit does for us. In the church, uh, the region of Galatia, Paul writes to them and says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, crying out, Daddy. See, here's why it's so important to understand and why Jesus set the very beginning of the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, to say we addressed our God in heaven as daddy is because if we don't have the right view of God, it will warp your prayer life. See, maybe for you, you have certain pictures of who God is. Maybe you treat God like a businessman. You, you think he's your employee. And you said, I've done everything. I've gone to church. I've done next steps. I pray. I tithe. Now give me what I deserve. I've done everything that you wanted me. And maybe that's the way that you view your daddy. Maybe he's a, you view him as a cosmic vending machine. God, if I just said this prayer the right way, I put my coin in, push the buttons, and something's going to fall out. 
Or maybe you view him as a genie in the bottle. As long as you rub God the right way and just do good, poof, things will happen for you. And Jesus says, disciples, listen, when you're going to pray, you've asked me how to pray, I'm going to tell you, address your God as daddy. I know this, I'm going to show you a painting that's very old, and I realize we actually don't understand or don't know what Jesus looked like. Just remember, this is the artist rendition of Jesus. I'm not saying this is what Jesus looks like. But I love this painting because I think we all have a picture of what we think God is and who God looks like. We have a painting in our head or a picture of what prayer is. And oftentimes, I want us to move from some of this to a deep, intimate conversation. Just like you can have with a family member, like you can have with a best friend. What I love about this painting is it's drawn in a guy in his office But did you just see, you could see that there's just a relationship there. And he's just hanging out with him. I know some of you, you think I'm a little bit of an oddball, a little weird. And you may still do. But this is how every day I have a picture in my mind that when I pray and start my quiet time and I open up God's word and I'm going to listen to worship music and pray, is that I invite Jesus, there's a, where my, my chair is, there's a couch, and I invite Jesus in my head. I said, Jesus, will you just come and sit on the couch with me? Just to have a conversation. It's a heart-engaged conversation. And my prayer and heart is that you will have that picture in your mind, that your heavenly Father loves you. He loves you. And he can't wait to hear from you. That it's a heart-engaged relationship. See, back to Matthew, look what Jesus says. He says, our Father, our Daddy in heaven. But notice this word, our. Jesus also knew something about powerful prayer. He knew that our is is a bigger family. He's your Daddy. He's my Daddy. If you follow Jesus, you have brothers and sisters in the, bo- uh, in, in the family of God sitting all around you right now, even watching at home. If your family is saved, they are not just your family here on earth, but they are your divine family. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something powerful to this, friends. Here's what's really interesting. That you know there's like three baptisms uh, that we see in Scripture. I mean, we're all family. Real quick, turn to your neighbor and say, you're my family. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're, you're part of the family too. Get this. This is what Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, those Christians. He's reminding them of this idea of family. We ought to be able to pray for one another. Can I just say that? Uh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the beautiful things about our seven nights of prayers, we did corporate prayer times. And to see groups of people praying together. Because when we pray together, oh, does God show up. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the family. That's why I love Sunday mornings. I love worshiping with family. Yes, I have my earthly family, but you all are my family too. And one day we'll get to heaven and realize, wow, we have a real big family. And we get to worship God together. 
Here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. For we were all, what's this one word? Oh, okay. Baptized by one spirit into one body. Don't, get, don't, don't let baptism throw you off. Don't let it confuse you. Baptism just means to be immersed. So what does that mean? When you and I are following after Jesus, when we have surrendered to Jesus, we have been baptized, immersed into the body of God, into the family of God. That is a beautiful thing. And then we have water baptism. When you and I are celebrate and we are immersed and we go publicly before everyone and say, I'm choosing to follow after Jesus. And we get immersed in the water, dunked and brought back up to a symbolic saying, my old way is dead and I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then you see that there's a baptism of Holy Spirit. Don't get weirded out by that. That just means an immersion of Holy Spirit. That whole, you are getting more of Holy Spirit in your life. You wonder, some people feel like they have about that much of Holy Spirit. Then you talk to others and you feel like, whoa, they got a lot, right? It's just They're more immersed. There's a journey. It's a discipleship journey to be awakened to more of Holy Spirit. That's what it is. And so we are baptized. We are immersed into the body of Christ. Man, did Jesus know something, friends. Disciples, teach us how to pray. Start this. Our, it's the entire group. We're a family our daddy. Friends, if you knew what Jesus knew, you'd pray like Jesus prayed. Here's the, again the second. Powerful prayer is based on a heart-engaged relationship with God as Father. We ought to normalize praying with each other. Why? Because he is our Father. Now I know for some of us, we have good intentions, do we not? Good intentions meaning... Someone comes up to us and asks for prayer. Hey, can you be praying for this or that? And we have good intentions to pray for them. And you know what we tend to say a lot? I will. And we get away from them. Good intentions. We probably truly mean I'm going to pray for you. Just not now. I think we ought to get comfortable saying, you know what? I will be praying for you. And I also will pray for you right now. And put a hand on a brother and sister in Christ and just pray real quick, 30 seconds, 15 seconds. Introverts, five seconds, and you're done. All right? That's it. And then just walk. Just pray, God, I pray for the power. I pray for your presence in their life. I pray for immense wisdom for this decision. In the name of Jesus, amen. And you walk and say, hey, I'll still be praying for you. We're family here. Let's normalize prayer. And I know for maybe for some of us, you're like, but Ryan, I don't know what, if I'm saying the right things or not. I don't think God's in heaven looking down upon you and going, ooh, ooh, those are good words. Hey, angels, you got to come and hear this prayer right now. <laughs> Woo! Hey, we're answering that one. That's good. Hey, someone, hey, Angel John, give me a transcript of that prayer right now. Listen, your words, listen, it's the power of God in what you do. Flowing in you and through you. It's okay, you got to start somewhere. What's just starting somewhere for me? What's that next step for your prayer life to go to the next level? 
Because if you knew what Jesus knew, you'd pray like Jesus prayed. Here's the third principle. Powerful prayer is the key to God's will be done. Powerful prayer is key to see God's will be done. Here's what Luke says. Again, the disciples are asking, he's, he's responding to them. When you pray, say, Father, remember, that's Daddy. Hallowed be thy name. You are so good, God. And you are great. Can we read these three words together? Are you ready? Your kingdom come. I love how Matthew also says in this when he teaches. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm just slightly worried that maybe for some of us we're praying, God, we want your kingdom to come, but my will be done. I want your kingdom, but I want you to bless what I'm doing. And can you, I'm just going to drag you along a little bit. No, it's praying, look, your kingdom come, your, God, your will be done. May I walk in your footsteps, not my footsteps. I want your desire here on earth. I want it as the way as it is in heaven, here on earth, full redemptive potential. Everything that's broken can be redeemed by God, and we're praying for that. We're after those things. I want to walk in your footsteps. I want my life to line up to your divine destiny for me. I want that. See, prayer moves us from seeking our own purposes to desiring God's purposes. That we are now saying, God, Yes, there is some things I want, but first and foremost, you are God and I'm not. And I am desiring what you want. And reveal that to me so I can walk in that. Yes, there are times that we say, hey, Lord, this would be really nice. This path right here would be really, really great. But I'm okay if, God, you show me this is the path. Why? Because I desire your purposes before my purposes. And the psalmist says this about that. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Friends, powerful prayer is the key to God's will be done. Fourth principle. Powerful prayer is concerned about others as well as ourselves. It's concerned about others. Remember, we're family, right? We're family. This, I think, trips some people up because we do spend a lot of time praying for ourselves. But did you look at the Lord's Prayer? Do you know there's not one I or my when Jesus teaches them how to pray? Let's take a look at it. Luke 11. Give us. Who's he talking to, remember? I'm going to teach the disciples how to pray. Hey, give us collectively, family. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we all are at, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus knew that it is larger than just my, that we're part of the family of God. And we ought to be praying for one another. Here is the problem with Americanized Christianity. Americanized Christianity or the Western Christianity focuses so much on the individual. And we've lost the collective community aspect. Go overseas. 
And you'll understand that they just have a better grasp on what community looks like than we do in the western part of the world. They understand community because that's what gets them through. We, we, you know how we grow up, right? We grow up, be independent, be independent. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. No, that's not how it works in God's kingdom. We need each other. We ought to be praying for, the, for one another. And when the church prays, together when the church prays, I truly believe that you will see a move of God and families will be strengthened. Our students will be strengthened when the church prays together. We're covering everyone. Friends, if you knew what Jesus knew, you'd pray like Jesus prayed. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in the 1800s. He started preaching when he was 19 years old in the 1800s. By the age of 25, he needed to build a new building that seated 6,000 people. This is the 1800s. This is like before megachurch time that we see today, where that's like a lot of your big cities have auditoriums that fit thousands and thousands. 1800s, there were so many people coming to his church. And he bases it on one thing. He bases it on the theory it's the prayer meeting that changes everything. 6,000 people. There was lines in the roads to get to the prayer meeting in his church. A person came up to Charles um, Spurgeon and said, hey, Spurgeon, why do so many people want to come to your church? He says, why don't you come in and just see? And the person walks in. He says, the presence of God. I see people praying, multiple generations. They are seeking the Lord because they know that the powerful prayer is rooted with a powerful life, a power-filled life. And Charles Spurgeon says this, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer, And from it, we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he not be there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. Friends, as prayer goes, so goes the church. And know this, we all are the church. We are the family of God. May we deepen our prayer life together. Charles Spurgeon continues on. Believe me, if a church does not pray, it is dead. It's not a matter of time. So much a matter, right here friends, it's heart. If you have the heart to pray, you'll find the time. May we understand, looking at the life of Jesus, that there are principles in play. Powerful prayer. Principles to put in play in our life. And the beautiful thing is that, I said it a few weeks ago, it amazes me still that you and I have access to God. Here's the last principle as we close. Number five, powerful prayers, prayer knows that God will do what is best. He knows what is best for you. See, after he gets done with that 
basis form of how to pray, teaching his disciples. He, he teaches them a parable about prayer, about asking and seeking, just knock, 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 and be persistent and all that stuff. But then he ends that parable with the disciples teaching them the prayer with some very powerful things in verses 11 through 13. And this is what he says to the disciples after he just taught them to pray. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You ever been on Christmas morning and give a child a present? You know that anticipation that's within them? They're so excited and focused on that gift, right? Because they trust you. There's a trust factor. They know this gift is probably good and it's good because I, I trust the person. I don't know of a child that has opened up a crisp on, on Christmas morning from their dad and go, Ah, boa constrictor! <laughs> no, the anticipation of the child opening that gift in that moment. Because they trust that gift giver. And Jesus talking to his disciples says, if you, if you then who are evil, remember who he's, who is he talking to? Think about that. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father, our heavenly daddy, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we, this is a whole nother message about really understanding the idea of the Holy Spirit and asking for more. But I want you to know your Heavenly Father loves you. Your Heavenly Father knows what's best for you. And we go to prayer before the throne room that's called grace. Knowing, God, you will have what's best for me. The greatest gift you and I can ever receive on this planet Gift number one is salvation. That we've put our trust and faith into Jesus Christ because now we are redeemed. We are clothed in righteousness and brought back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the greatest gift anyone can receive, eternal life. There's a second greatest gift. is when we enter in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, God deposits His presence, Holy Spirit in us. He knows what you need. Those moments of frustration and you are worried with anxiety. It's just there and you're like, I, I, I don't know, I just don't, I feel unease. Friends, he's giving you the comforter. He's giving you that gift. When you don't know and you need guidance and I just need some, I need counsel. I'm not sure what direction to go to. He's giving you the greatest counsel you'll ever have in Holy Spirit. He's giving you those things. Because God is a good gift giver and he knows what you and I need. And he will do what is best. Powerful prayer knows that God will do what's best. And what you and I must do in those situations is submit and to surrender to that. We're going to sing this song as a close. It's... I'm sure a lot of you know this song. It's called The Blessing. And how I, I really wanted this to be our closing song because it's pretty cool. 
Because there's a moment in that song where he says, may his favor be upon you for a thousand generations. And your family, and then all their children, and their children and children. Know this, your heavenly father, father, our daddy, wants to rest his favor upon you because he loves you. So I'm going to ask you to stand in this moment. And I'm going to pray for us. And this is more of a song that we sing over each other. It's a prayer for one another. Remember, our is a bigger family. It's a bigger family. So let me worship or let me pray over you. Our prayer team, if you need prayer, our prayer team just went down to the corners. But I'm going to pray over you. And then we're going to sing a blessing over all of us as a family of God, friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We, we pray as we sing this song out as a song of prayer over our family here in this room. We pray that your favor and your presence and your power would pour out on each other. God, may we just continue to speak the name of Jesus. May we continue to seek your face. face. May we continue to be a people of powerful prayer in our lives. That we move from duty to delight. And that we would pray for one another. We are a body of Christ to one another. And we give this song not only to you, but to brothers and sisters in this room. That your favor, your blessing would be not only on us, but generations and generations to come. We give you this song in Jesus' name. Amen.